0: This has got nothing to do with what you can ask me about, but, it's, you know, I had someone uh, doing uh, one of our wagon rides the other day, a couple of days ago, and she was really nice, she was really chatty, you know, and she said, your horse just bit my fingernail, bit a little little piece of my fingernail. I said, well, look, we'll include that in the price, I'm not going to charge you for the fingernail trimming. And anyway, her husband heard what she had said, and he said, uh, why don't you stand a bit close to that horse and poke your tongue out? He said, uh, then I might get a bit of peace going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Michael Bethel would fit right into the cowboys of the old, old west. And so it makes sense that he runs Texas Longhorn Tours and Chartist Towers. Over the past 13 years, Michael and his wife have developed it from an idea to an unmissable tourism experience that is always booked out. Weathering drought, economic downturns and COVID in the meantime, Michael has been through it all. In this episode, he tells us why he likes Texas Longhorns and his journey to get this far. The CIC acknowledges the connections to country and culture of the First Nations people. We pay respect to the Gujul, Bindal and Woogoroogaba people, the traditional custodians of the lands where this podcast was recorded and produced. Texas Longhorn Tours You've been doing it for over thirteen years, is that right?
0: This is our thirteenth year. When we started with our Texas Longhorn tours, which actually, with everything we've done, we've always started small. You know, I've that saying, "We know that you've got to crawl before you walk," but there's nothing wrong with crawling fast. Uh, so, but by doing that, you slowly build up. We started with a horse and a wagon, then one safari vehicle, because that's all we needed, and that's we, had, you know, we'd fill up then. Then there was enough interest So Then we got two. Then we got three. Now we're looking at four. So that's crawling before you walk, which means you're not going out and borrowing a million dollars and, and then worrying about it. And so that allows you to, you know, you, you've got to be, be able smart. to have a, a handle a bit of things that's thrown up against you. You know, we, we, we've we been on the land all our life. I grew up in a cattle station. I was the eldest of five. And we grew up fast, you know, like... Um, when well, so I say grew up fast, we were really... We were really handy kids. We were doing the work of a man when we were really, really young. You know, all our holidays consisted of was mustering cattle, working cattle, and we wouldn't have it any other way. We just loved that with a passion. You know, even when we went to boarding school. Um,
1: what did you love about it?
0: Just everything. Yeah, it's a hard. It's hard to describe. Just like the. Uh, it sounds ridiculous, but is you it know,
1: something that yeah that's born in you? Do you think? which I've spoken to many people who live in the country and love the country and they, they talk about it, they just love it but they don't know why and it's just, it's in them and it never leaves them.
0: Yeah, you can take the kid out of the country but you can't take the country out of the kid, they say that. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's born, it's not necessarily born because it's just, you know, just by chance that I was born where I was born, I could have been born in the middle of, you know, deep in the heart of a city somewhere so, uh, but it's, that's where the the seed was probably planted for what we're doing right now because I always, two things I always wanted to do. Uh, One, I always wanted to be a cowboy, of course, but I was also a keen leather worker, even as a little kid. I always wanted to be a saddle maker. And now, all these years later, I'm doing what I used to dream about when I was a kid. I remember as a kid too, I'd I'd go to old race meetings that they used to have up there. They'd have a travelling saddler that would, Set up his gear, and I couldn't get enough of that list. Love the looking at that work, and the the feel of the new leather, and the smell of the leather. And yeah, I mean, I was working on a saddle ten minutes before I turned up here. I was, you know, that's still still doing it. So you know, the I'll say living the dream. <coughs> it's not always cracked up to be, of course. There's a lot of stuff along the but way. But it's your but,
1: dream. Doesn't have to <coughs> be anyone else's.
0: Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's that's right. So you know, I used to love. We didn't have TV or anything like that, but you know, you'd, you'd read Western novels and Western comics, and just you know, you could devour every little bit of that, you know. And you know, I remember the, the first movie that I ever saw was in a in Georgetown. I can't remember the name. But it was a John Ford Western, and you and you look at that and think, how good is that? And it's bit, it all ties in together, you know. It all just yeah. You you sort of grow up fast, but it's you're still a kid. You're not not as if you you know forced to do anything but the minute I finished grade 10 I was gone and th- that's that's that, that is a little regret though I mean I, you wouldn't change anything because that's just how it is and that's how it was back then there were very few people completed school where we grew up it was just it was just almost unheard of and certainly I never knew anyone that went to university you know that was that was for those city people you know Until later, you know, we had kids of our own. One of our daughters is a vet, one's a nurse. They both completed university, you know. know.
1: So why the Texas Longhorns? What draws you to them?
0: Well, it goes back to that whole cowboy thing. If it wasn't for Texas Longhorns, it wouldn't be cowboys. The whole cowboy legend, I guess, grew out of that really short period of time during the big Texas cattle drives and out of that spawned a whole several generations of Western movies and television shows and all those Western novels that i talked about before, and they still make Western movies, uh, none of that would have happened. None of that could have happened if it wasn't for Texas Longhorns. When you realise how important part they played in history, it's one to know everybody doesn't want to own Texas Longhorns. Um, so so that w- that's kind of the common thread to what, what I do, you know, with even the saddle making you know like it's what you use a a saddle for to chase cattle rope cattle so So, we were just fascinated with them and when we realized it was we could get into texas longhorns was tough but it was something we just thought i've got to have a go at that
1: so how did you get into it
0: there were texas Longhorns in australia when we decided to get into them but there wasn't many and those that were were too expensive and too far away, really. So the way we got into them was, I contacted a fellow in New Zealand that I'd met a few years earlier. He had a herd of full blood Texas Longhorns. Several years later, when we thought let's give this a go, I remember that, so I, I rang that fellow up because I knew that they were using New Zealand as a way to get Longhorn genetics into Australia. So um, I contacted him just for a little bit of advice, more than anything. And before he before I would got the phone to him, we'd made a deal on buying some frozen Texas lawn embryos. So then we imported those embryos into Australia, and um, long story short, that's how we got started. And it was a, a long, drawn out, convoluted process, and it, and you know it didn't work perfectly, but it was a start that we needed. So, so from those few genetics, now we we've built it up to to. To, um, to date bred more full-blood longs than anybody in the country. So the problem that we had when we got started doesn't exist anymore. So, and we've concentrated right from the get-go uh, of breeding Texas longhorns with artificial insemination. So using the best imported uh, Texas longhorn semen, so you, your herd then becomes a really super high quality.
1: So, so did you have one? You would have had one or two cows to start off with, obviously.
0: Only the embryos.
1: So essentially, you plant an embryo into a surrogate cow who then carries that to term.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. Once the embryo is implanted into the into your recipient cow, then it's just a normal pregnancy, but they don't all stick. So you, it's just like you know, everybody is in, in the human world knows somebody in their family that's, that's had gone through IVF, for, for example, or, or had, had reproductive problems and similar things ap- apply, you know, you, and sometimes you just don't know why, you know, why, why one don't stick. And t- just say you want to implant, say, 12 embryos, which is what we imported, 12 embryos, that's what we started with, you would probably start with 30 or 40 cows and you'd cull down to, 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 to the 12 best ones. Because if you start with 12, you're not going to end up with – 12 good ones just going to be a waste. Uh, And that's how we started. You know, it was pretty exciting when we knew – we put those embryos in those 12 cows and we just turned them out into the paddock. And then uh, probably six, eight weeks afterwards, we got the vet out to do a pregnancy test on them. Out of those 12, we had three that were in calf. But that was the start that we needed. So – and it was pretty exciting. What was that? I was
1: gonna say, what was that like for you that day?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was really exciting to know that it was. It was terribly disappointing that we only got three. But it's not as not as disappointing as if we would have got zero. I don't. Very few people get a hundred percent. But if we would have got zero, let's just say, that would have really tested our tested us out. I don't don't know if we would have uh, been you know, would have been prepared to. To, to go on, you know, so... And then there, that's how we got started.
1: How long have you had the Texas Longhorns now?
0: 25 years. Okay. So when did
1: JR come along?
0: JR came along in um, 2005. J- JR was uh, just a plain little calf. His name wasn't even JR, it was uh, Johnny Reb. Um, but as JR's reputation, his horns got longer, his name got shorter. We shortened up the JR. Um, and... It was it, you know, when we started doing our Texas Longhorn tours in two thousand and nine, he was kind of the standout animal, and he was the the you know the, the animal that we used to, I guess, to attract people here to Texas Longhorn tours. Um, then in two thousand and eleven, when we went through the process with the Guinness World Records, having been certified by them, and eventually we got the certificate back to say he the longest on the beast of all the cattle in the world. He made it in the two thousand and thirteen book. Yeah, the rest is kind of history. He was front and center of everything we do, really. Um, Jr. was. Uh, Jr. was really good to us, and um, he had a a good life. He had a rough couple of last couple of years. Uh, he had a bit of a run in with one of our water buffaloes, and so he had a there was some horn damage done to him. And but we saved him, and 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 he was right for the next few years. But you know, as a result of that, you know, it's like someone with an old war wound, you know, sometimes it hastens their demise and did with JR. So 20, end of 2020 was, a, it was a, not only it was the big COVID year, it was the last year that we had JR, you know, uh, uh, when I say last you had JR, last year you had JR alive. Um, uh, but he now, you know, he's, he resides forever on the, the gallery that bears his name, the JR gallery of horns. Um, we did the right thing by him and like you should do with animals, you know. They are, they are after all, animals uh, and we're, we're, I always say, we're responsible for that they have a good life and a good ending to their life, you know, which is important, you know. No, no animal should suffer for the pleasure of a human, so we made sure that, that JR was, you know. But we also showed him the, res- you know, he was gone and uh, I think it's ultimate sign and respect to, 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 you know, he's not just a, I well, know he's still on display, you know, people come to see you know, people see him but uh, it would be, I think it's a lot more respectful doing that than just showing, them, showing people photos of him, you know, so. Mm. Um,
1: when you got into um, the breeding of the Texas Longhorn, was the intent to create a safari tour or what was your intent?
0: No, it, it was just an idea. It was just an idea to to give it a go, you know, like, uh, let's just see if people would be interested in, um, we thought they would be interested enough in having a look at them. So, you know, we were fascinated by them and everybody else that used to, to, you know, friends and family that would see them liked them. So we thought, let's see how it would go. And that's what we did. We just had a, you know, it was just an idea. You know, I often say it's not it wasn't a good idea at the time, just an idea. Didn't know if it was going to be good or not. Mm. So how did you get
1: that up and running an idea, like, let's turn this into a a tourist attraction and and bring people out and educate them? On How did you start
0: that That was was pretty hard because we didn't have, you know, but ignorance is bliss. We had no idea, literally. Uh, So um, we decided to do it with horse-drawn wagon. I didn't have anything about driving horses or anything like that. So so we just got a couple of horses and I built a wagon and um, printed some brochures and... And away we went, and I mean, yeah, there was no kind of handbook on how to become a tourist operator, you know. That we just we we went in there, pretty cold, you know. And uh, but I always remember the f- the first time, the first TV show that come to visit home, that to, to, to visitors, us, to, to you know to, to
1: do a to, story to
0: do a story on us. I always remember the presenter saying to me, he said, "How long have you been doing this, Mick?" I said, we haven't even started yet. He turned up, they turned up there before we'd even started, and he was gobsmacked. He said, Oh look like you've been doing this for years. And I knew then that, that we were that that we could get it done, you know. Uh so the old saying, fake it before you make it. Um we weren't really faking it, but but you know You saying? were ready to rumble. Yeah, yeah. So and and now we've had over the years, you know, we've had um you know Several of those, uh, I think Queensland weekend maybe have maybe been back there a couple of times. We've had you know, Dr. Harry has been to our play, Hamish and Andy, Dr. Chris Brown, Sunrise did a full three hours of uh, breakfast there, that, you know, one year. So it's been, in, I'm not saying that's just a name drop. We just never thought in our wildest dreams that what we do would would be, you know, be interesting enough to have those people interested in us. So.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah, and, and here we are today talking about it again.
1: Yeah, yeah, then we were those people who rocked up on your doorstep well, the, the cool, other day. you're the coolest said, of
0: the whole lot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the people you meet every day must be pretty – some characters come out of it?
0: A lot of characters, you know. like uh, Because it's such a personal, low-numbers experience, we cut the numbers. We don't have a million people out there. Um, I mean, she did develop a little relationship with those people just for a few hours. You know, you never see most of them again. Some you do. Some come back. Uh, but you develop a little relationship just for a few hours and, uh, and, yeah, it brings out the best in us, brings out the best in them.
1: Have you ever had years. any people that came through 13 years ago as kids that are, have come back with their kids?
0: Well, we have, and the most memorable one was just this year. We had a, um, a family come back. They'd been here 10 years ago and did our... Texas Longhorn Wagon Tour, they came back and did a safari and just by chance we happened to have just had the horse hitched up to the wagon and so they replicated a, a photo that they took 10 years earlier and even the the littlest, the, boy, the youngest boy I think was he was only a baby so he's about 10 now uh, and his mother got him up on a hip and took, you know, they replicated the photo. It was so good. It's very humbling because... To think that those people had such a great experience back then that they want to come back, and you know that's all you. You know, anytime you have any doubts about wanting to, you know, not that we ever do, but if you ever did, you know, want to get up in the morning and get up and get going, that's all you need.
1: I spoke to you last week and said, "Oh, I'm staying out here for the week with my family. I was going to try and book in for a tour." You laughed at me.
0: Yeah. Well, good luck trying to get on you mean because it was we were so busy
1: and you said your waiting list is booked out too some yeah days. the
0: waiting list is maxed out so you know we never we, ha- we have a capacity you know this is level we don't want to go any higher um we're going to more than likely add another vehicle to to our texas Longhorn safari which will allow us to have 30 people at that at one time but we don't want to go any more than that it starts to get a bit not necessarily unmanageable but you've got to take that into account because you do have people out there, you know, walking amongst Texas Longhorn cattle, which do have a really nice, quiet temperament, but they do have really big sharp horns, and mm. you know, someone can get accidentally hurt. No one no one ever has. But there's always tomorrow, you know. We we could manage that if you're if Think you an been me what we could it. do, if you wanted to volunteer to be the first person gored at Texas Longhorn Tours, I reckon we could find a spot for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh so we we are super busy, and
1: do you think this year, two thousand and twenty-one, has been your busiest year yet?
0: It's been the busiest we've been certainly for this time of the year. The only other time we were probably as busy was towards the end of last year when we opened up after the COVID shutdown. But this year has just been crazy busy.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: Uh, I think for for a few reasons one is the obvious one, that those people that want to um, holiday don't have anywhere else to go except Australia. Two, we've been going long enough now to have a good reputation. And three, I don't really know if this applies or not, but, you know, it is an outback, outdoor experience, which means, you know, in the current COVID environment, uh, the perception perhaps is that it's it's a safe thing to do. Um, and we abide by all those strict COVID safe plans. And, and people really respect that too, you know.
1: Do you think people over the last 12 months of going into COVID and to now really understand the importance of being COVID safe?
0: I'm really glad you asked that question because we think about that a lot. It's it's probably a little bit controversial, but I think there's a fair bit of complacency, especially in areas away from, you know, the populated areas. Uh, but we, we realise how serious it could get Uh, and you'd only have to see um, some, like a traveller who, you know, innocently picked it up and ended up somewhere like, like, you know, like our attraction and all of a sudden, you know, it gets out and what that does, what that would do uh, wouldn't do your reputation much good even though it may not be our fault Um, but it would hurt the industry as a whole so we play our part, you know, prior to 2020, Every single person that turned up there would be greeted either with a handshake, but we would do it was very personal. And now we just we just don't do that, and you know we can't wait till it gets all back to normal. Um, so we don't take we take our responsibilities there very seriously. We were one of the first in Charters Towers to be vaccinated, Linda and I. We didn't mess around there. You know we proudly put it up on our Facebook page. You know there we are getting our our first jab, but um, yeah, the COVID thing's real and, um, you know, we just want to get back to
1: mm. normality. Last year when the tourist industry was shut down and and travel was shut down and you couldn't go any more than 50 kilometres, what did that do for your business? And what what opportunities were you able to come up with that you could look at pivoting your business through that time?
0: Well, when the whole show was shut down, we thought, well, you know, it's gonna, they're not going to be shut down forever we honestly thought we'd be shut down for, um, a lot longer than what we were. So we saw it as an opportunity to, to get a lot more stuff done, you know, infrastructure that we were thinking about doing. So we hooked in and got it done. Um, and then all of a sudden we're open again and then it just took off. I meant that, that it, literally the day that Queensland was open for business, our phone just literally started to ring. Um, and we weren't ready to go. We needed another two or three weeks. So by the time we swung the gates open, metaphorically speaking, I guess and literally speaking too, they were there. So it was, you know, there was a lot of unknowns. It was, you know, we we saw the writing on the wall. We could see those those big um, storm clouds on the horizon. We knew what was going to happen. You know, it's not. It would did not be honest trying to work that one out. Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, it was just, you know, you don't know what you don't know and it was a, yeah, it was a...
1: It's, it's, in, it's interesting where you say that you took that time to build up some infrastructure and, and, and do some more around your business and property. That could have been a time where you were scared to do any of that. So what made you think, Will be brave enough to go, okay, well, let's go and build this or improve this or, or do that so when we open up again we can be bigger and better well, who dares? some businesses would have went too scared to spend at the thought of not being able to ever open again did that ever cross your mind
0: not not for one instant the old saying who dares wins you know and uh so we just yeah we never because when things just don't that sort of stuff doesn't last forever and even if it did well we're all we're all going to be in the you know what so um, you learn to live with that you gotta learn to live with nature you know you got not every a good season, you get droughts. You get, you know, so you just get used to it. You know, it's mm. no, it's no big.
1: Let's talk about drought. Growing up farming and within Texas Longhorns, how does the drought affected your business?
0: Well, it's it hasn't it hasn't really affected our business because people come to see us whether it's a good season or a bad season. But where it does affect, it affects your your bottom line because our cattle have to have to be presented really well all the time. They're very closely scrutinised, you know, like uh, and everyone is very, very, you know, animal welfare issues are high on people's, you know, and if not in the back of them, on the front of their mind, you know, they watch you, they really watch you closely. So we would never, ever have anything presented poorly. We don't anyway, like, uh, you know, even, you know, even the cattle aren't on display are in just as good a, you know, just in good shape as the ones that are, are on display. Uh, so I think back to 2015, similar thing happened. You know, we could see, you know, our, our grass, our pasture wasn't going to make it through the, to the end of the tourist season. So we knew we had to uh, do something about it. So we bought – we started buying hay early and started feeding hay to our cattle, which is it's, – it's horrendously expensive – Especially then, because there wasn't much hay, there was, a, there was a big shortage of hay in the country, which makes it a lot more expensive. So, you uh, uh, plan ahead, and um, and you know you so everything presents really, really, really well. And we always had this joke, you know, when at that time of the year, when um, I'd say Linda to my wife, I'd say Linda, I said, so what? How, how many? Do, what do we have booked in today? And she'd say uh, four. I said, what? Well, only four people. She said, "No, no, no. We have got enough people that 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 equate to four bales of hay. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, so we we're going to be almost equating people. To, so, uh, so the, you know the that affects, you know, your profitability, of course. But you got to do what you got to do. Mm. You know, it's you just got to do that part of the part of the deal.
1: Yeah. What else do you want to see come out of Texas Longhorn tours?" Where do you want the future to take it?
0: Probably just more of the same. I mean, there's not much more we're going to do. You know, th- th- there's plenty of potential there. There's plenty of potential, you know. We've only just scratched the surface, really. Um, it's something It's different. It's, you know, um, we just want to keep providing a good experience for people, you know, until we're, you know, as long as we're physically able to do it and, you know... Um, Still have the mental capacity to do it. Mm. Um, You've got
1: the shop as well, also attached to the Texas Longhorn tours. That has all your saddlery work in it. And
0: yeah, the yeah we have a good little gift shop there with different things in it. Um, and the, the saddlery business is you know I've made a lot of saddles over the years, and you know I'm just getting through saddles now. Ordered you know, two or three years earlier, and one of our one of the the um, the important parts of our display in the JR gallery, apart from JR, of course is, is a, a Texas is a replica Texas trail herd saddle that I made you know three or four years ago to have on display there so um, so it it's, it kind of showcases what I do you know um, you know, I don't need to, to advertise to get the work or more you know I'll die with saddles on order uh, so it's yeah, it's it's you know it's all kind of all slotted into place probably probably ten years ago now and it's just you know it's, it's all worked out fine you know
1: doing just because you're doing what you love
0: well if you have a look on our website the about us page um it's not an original saying but i do like it you know if you love what you do and do what you love you'll never have to work a day in your life so um you know and that's i believe that to be true you know and um it's we even apply the same thing to our you know similar to our uh to the to our saddles you know the, the saddles i make out aren't the cheapest saddles in the world price-wise, but there's another saying, you know, quality will endure long after the price is forgotten. So, And that also applies, to, I guess, to, to, to any sort of an experience, you know, so it's uh, whether it's, you know, saddlery or, you know, our tourist experiences or everything we do, we try to do it properly um, and you know, and not not leave anything not leave anything in the shed, you know, give everybody, give them everything, you know. Mm. That's the, that's what that's the, how, that's how we kind of work anyway.
1: Cool, thanks for joining us today.
0: No worries, thank you. Appreciate it. And, no, I appreciate. Yeah, it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. I Enjoyed it.
1: Oh, it's good. Good. I look forward to um bringing my family out.
0: No, worries. Please. Well, Thank
1: you. <laughs> we will make a booking and not just rock on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.